0: We're walking through this short letter, 46 verses, three chapters, where Paul is instructing, he's basically sending Titus, a young pastor, to an area that the gospel had already been planted, but they have to shape up the churches. That that, that things are uh, just beginning to be developed, but some things are already awry. And in chapter 1, he speaks specifically to Titus and says, all right, this is why I'm, I'm sending you here. This is why I'm leaving you on this island of Crete, that you need to put... What remains into order? There are some disorder and for the church to be healthy and successful and go more than just one generation, you have to put some things in order. And if I were to summarize the book of Titus, I would say there's basically three things they have to put into order. They have to first raise some godly leaders. Without godly leadership, everything will fall apart. You've got to have the proper leadership, the, the quality, qualified uh, individuals God is calling to lead the church. And that is always in a plurality, not one man. We follow one man. His name is Jesus Christ. And under him, we have shepherds who lead the congregation. So chapter 1 focuses specifically on raising godly leaders. Chapter 2 deals about, uh, with reproducing growing disciples. How do you go from this generation to the next generation and generations beyond your lifetime? There has to be some discipleship. There has to be multi-generational connections. And chapter 3 is going to take a turn and focus on reaching grace-starved people. If all we do is love on one another and we wait till Jesus comes back and we all die without ever sharing the gospel, without ever going outside of these walls, then we have failed as a church. The church didn't just have the gospel come to us. It was to come through us for the benefit of the people who do not yet have the grace of Christ in their lives. Today we're turning the page and we're going to chapter two. Having finished chapter one last week, we're gonna focus on what does it really mean to reproduce growing disciples within the church. If you notice in verse one, he begins with an emphatic statement. He says, but as for you, and what he's doing is contrasting what's taken place right before this. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. A clear contrast to those who are living in Crete. If you were to go back to chapter 1 at the end, there at the final verses, it speaks of troublemakers, insubordinate, deceptive, liars, lazy, people who are dividing whole families by what they're saying and what they're doing. And and it even concludes in verse 16 of chapter 1. They profess to know God, but nothing in their lives indicate that at all. It's one thing to speak, it's another thing to live. And both must be true. We have some people who live for Christ, but they never speak for Christ. We have some people who speak for Christ, but they're certainly not living it. And we cannot neglect either. And so contrasting that, he, he emphasizes with an emphatic saying, but as for you, Titus, this is why I'm sending you. You've got to teach what accords with sound doctrine. You have to reproduce what has been given to you into the lives of others that they may do the same. Paul told Timothy basically the same thing. And as he says to Titus, you're going to speak to the entire congregation. He now looks at these next four, a few verses, uh, verse 1 through 8, and he's going to have four different groups of people, which covers all of the people. He's going to say, speak to the older men, and you tell them this. Speak to the older women, you tell them this. Speak to the younger women, you say this, and speak to the younger men. Which is so clear to me in this. this if we're going to have sound doctrine, as it says in verse 1, that you're going to, what does it say specifically, teach what accords to sound doctrine. In just this small summary, you see that sound doctrine means there are two genders that God has ordained. And there are basically two generations. There's an older group and a younger group. Now you might say, well, I'm kind of in the middle. Well, either you are younger than somebody or older than somebody. Would you agree? Perhaps you have a twin, but even in twins, somebody says, I'm the oldest. You know, you didn't come out at the same time. One of the things that the church has to establish after raising godly leaders is letting the congregation know this is not uh, uh, something to observe. It's something to participate in. We are the church. Would you agree? The building is a helpful tool that we can meet in, but we are the church. We are not just passive pew sitters watching what somebody else can do. When we're called to Christ, we're called to mission. We're called to grow in him and help others grow in him. I I always often say to people, this is what you need to evaluate in your life. You need to have someone ahead of you in your life that's pouring into you. Who have you surrendered and, and humbled yourself before and says, I need to learn from you. I need to be like Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. I just need to learn I need to get some wisdom. But you also have to have somebody behind you. Because if you are a sponge soaking in the wisdom and knowledge of someone who's further down the road than you, then what are you going to do with it? What happens to a sponge that fills up but never expresses out? It stinks. You ever had somebody take a washcloth and, and get it all wet and then roll it up and t- put it into a corner? And you find it a couple of days later, what is that smell? You know, this is awful. Yeah, you have to express it out. So if you've been granted a grace gift of wisdom from someone else and you're soaking it up, give it away to someone else. Because here's what I know. When you give it away, you've lost nothing. You keep everything you have and you just expand the blessing to someone else. So you're going to have people who are older than you you need to learn from. You're going to have people younger than you that you need to give to. And let me just mention, that doesn't necessarily mean age. There are people younger than me that I've learned from that are wiser, they're more mature in some areas. There are people younger than me that I have learned tremendous things from, and I have had to humble myself going, you know, I believe your insight is more accurate here. Let me learn. But there are also some people older than me that I've stood before, and I've learned tremendous things from. So don't discount by age. Look for maturity in Christ. Yes? Are we on the same page? See, unfortunately, in my life, I found some older people that I've learned from, but also, also found some older people I'm like, you've lived this long and you're still acting like a third grader? That you still whine and complain and you don't do much for yourself and you demand uh, everybody serves you like you're an infant still in the crib? What, what a disapp- depressing situation. So for the church, if we're going to reproduce growing disciples... New, we need to respect the older and the younger. This age uh, that we live in with gender confusion and blurred lines of sexuality. In an age that prefers age segregation for everything and focuses just for certain groups. We need a clear biblical definition of masculinity and femininity as well as the value of multi-generational interactions. If you're just a look around yourself for a moment, you realize there are people older than you and younger than you in this room. And it reflects the body of Christ as he intended. Let us not segregate exclusively for just our peer group. We learn nothing if all we do is hang out with our peers. I'm speaking to older and younger today, by the way. If you find yourself only hanging out with senior adults, go hang out with some young people. You may not be able to keep up with them all the time, but I tell you what, you will give them a little more life to you. You know, younger people, if all you're doing is hanging out with younger people, that's, that's great. You can do things that perhaps older people can't do, but you'll never learn anything beyond what your peer group currently knows. There is experience in this room that will not be found in a book, but listening and learning will benefit you for the long haul. Let's focus on a few things here. As as I consider what the Bible shows us throughout history, that we need models and mentors in this generation for the benefit of the next. Consider people like Joseph, who who had Jacob in his life. Moses had a Jethro. that As he was trying to lead the million uh, Israelites out of Egypt, and it was overwhelming, he had a wise older man, his father-in-law, who came to him and said, you could do it differently Joshua had Moses. Ruth had Naomi. Samuel had Eli. David had Nathan speaking to his life. Elisha had an Elijah. Mary had an Elizabeth she could speak to. Paul had a Barnabas. And Titus, Timothy, and Silas had a Paul. I think throughout church history, Billy Graham had Mordecai Ham. It was it was the... Um, John MacArthur, who had John Feinberg. John Piper had a, had a Harold Ockinja and a Daryl Fuller. And a Matt Chandler had a John Piper. Question for you today is this. Who do you have in your life that is a mentor and a model for you? Are you looking or are you just trying to break the mold and do your own thing? Is there someone in your life who is a model or a mentor to you? And it may be several people. And then the second question is this. Who can look to you, regardless of your age, who can look to you as a model to follow and a mentor to learn from? Both the model and the mentorship is is explained in this passage as he deals with the four different categories of individuals. I'm just going to break this down in a simple way. I'd love to to unpack this over the next five weeks, but I'm going to put it all together right here in this message in the short time that we've got. I'm going to give you three principles that I believe, three attributes, if you will. If we would embrace these three attributes, then we would be a generation that is able to be a model and a mentor for the next generation. Consider this, number one, live well. What is your life like? Is it worth modeling after? Are you a model for anybody? I'm not suggesting are you perfect. There's not a man, woman, boy, or girl in this, in this world that's perfect. But if you are growing and you're going in the right direction, are you someone worthy of following? Paul would say clearly, follow me as I follow Christ. If you're going in that direction, you're worth following. You admit your mistakes, but you're pursuing the righteousness and holiness of God. In in this section, you'll see that older men and older women are spoken of here. And this is what I find here. And and it truly is an age thing here when he speaks of of, uh, the older men and older women. Maturity is what they have based on their life. And what I know is this. Maturity takes a lifetime, not just a moment. We can all fake it for a day. But it's what happens consistently over a lifetime that makes the impact. We might hold on for a week, but what's going to be the the, the, the length of your life? And would people be able to say that person was worthy of following as they followed Christ? In my short lifetime, and I say it short, I'm 50 years old, but I'm still young. In my short lifetime, I've seen a lot of people that I thought, man, they are worthy of following. And I have really looked up to them, and they have crashed and burned. They were great in their 20s, but you couldn't find them in their 30s. Or perhaps they rose to prominence in the 30s, and then they fell morally, and, and they're out of the ministry or out of, out of public life. You know, people who maybe made it to their 40s, and then they just got a little bored and, and, and abandoned their faith. It's not about what you did for a decade even. What is your life like for the longevity of it? As trials and and temptations come, how do you respond? Do you you count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds and then you seek the Lord for wisdom so you can overcome? Or do you just flame out and go with the culture? My fear is too often the church doesn't hold on to sound doctrine to their commitment to the never-changing sacred scripture. But they surrender to the constant changing secular culture. So, what are we going to do to live well? He starts in verse two older men, be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. He's basically talking about their character. What is your life like? Has your life modeled that which is Christ like and worthy of following? Being sober minded, level headed, wise in decision making. You have the right priorities. You're not distracted by the noise, the the latest fads, or or whatever the cultural or political circus is of the day. You're dignified, worthy of respect. You take no delight in inappropriateness, and, and you're never superficial. You're self-controlled, which, by the way, seems to be the indicator for all of these categories. Several uh, attributes of these individuals are mentioned, but self-controlled is repeated in every one, except for the older women. But they speak in that verse about how they handle alcohol, which would deal with self-control. What is your self-control? How you control yourself under the power and the Holy Spirit of God will make all the difference to what you do as a mentor and a model for someone. Self-control, sensible, wise, prudent, passion under control, self-disciplined, where you're never careless with your words or your actions. Let me give you a study that was uh, prominent the year after I was born, about 50 years ago. Walter Michel, he's a Stanford professor who was known for his experiments in self-control. 50 years ago, he created a a test to see if five-year-olds would respond to being left alone in a room with a marshmallow for 15 minutes. If they could last 15 minutes without eating it, They were promised to be given two marshmallows. Now some of you go, it wouldn't be tempting at all. But for most of you go, well, what size is it? Over several decades, the study continued. The study showed that children who actually waited the longest for the marshmallow went on to have the higher SAT scores than the children who didn't wait. They were thinner. They earned more advanced degrees. They coped better with stress. He says, quote, "The children who succeeded turned their backs on the treat. They pushed it away. They pretended it was something not edible, like a piece of wood, or they sang a song. I could imagine five-year-old just making up a tune to entertain themselves, lasting for the fifteen minutes." He goes on. Instead of staring down the treat, they transformed it into something with less of a throbbing pull on them. If you change, he says, if you change how you think about it, its impact on it impacts what you feel and what you do. Think fascinating. As they just observed, five-year-olds, if you change the way you think about something, it affects the way you feel about it and what you actually do. Think about self-control. He did say to worried parents, I thought this was fascinating, because some parents were worried that their children would never be successful, they'd be overweight, they would fail out of school by the time they were in fourth grade. And he says, no, whether you eat the marshmallow at five-year-old, at your five-year-old birthday isn't your destiny. Self-control can be taught. And I would just indicate that that is true from the scriptures as well none of us have ultimate self-control. We're all tempted and we all give in. Every one of us sin every single day. But self-control, connected and partnered with the Holy Spirit, is powerful. And over the longevity of your life, you don't say, well, I just fell into it. No, you say, I was confronted with something and I chose the ways of God by his power. So, if we're going to live well, what does that take? How does that take place? You see that there's older men that are this way. He he speaks about the older women in verse three. Likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderous, or, or or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good. What I notice here is that mature believers have self-control and they're solid in their confidence and trust in the Lord. That mature believers know in whom they believe. They know what they believe and they know why they believe it. These ladies are indicated that they are mature because they are reverent in their behavior. They live in a way that's easily recognized as a follower of God. They're not slanderous. That means they are truthful in words. The actual word slanderous is diabolos, which we get the word devil from in the English language. They're not devils in the way they speak. They give no ear or tongue to gossip, which is acting just like the devil. What you hear and what you say matters to your maturity, and this is your life. He goes on to say, they're not slaves to much wine, which deals with the self-control. They're not slanderous in speech or alcoholism, which consider that. To be drunk and have slanderous speech, oh my. The things you can say to rip into others this is not someone who is living well according to the things of God not people to be modeled after and they say and they turn to the mentorship teach what is good what you know how you're living teach someone else not just by what you do but by what you say run alongside some people who are a little further down the road than you and pour into them with humility and availability teach what is good Which is such a contrast to speaking slanderously and lacking the self-control. Live well. Turns the corner and he says, now you need to love well. It's not just by how you live, it's by how you love. And this is where he he turns the focus in in speaking to the young women, but it would include all of us. In verse 4 it says, And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, once again, the word self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. You notice the focus here is on what happens in your private life will affect what happens in your public life. What you do at home really is who you are. There are a lot of people with a platform in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people, but their home life is a wreck. If you can't love those in your home as Christ loves them, you'll never truly be effective in the public eye. They may not know it in the public eye right now, but eventually it'll all come out. There's been ministries over even in the last year that have totally been collapsed. Even after a man died, it all came out about how he did not have a good private life. And his ministry has been destroyed. Those who worked for him have lost their jobs. It, everybody questions, should we even uh, read his books anymore? Listen to me. He emphasizes here, you got to live well as people see it. But you've got to love well. And love begins loving those in your home. I was taught even as a, a teenager uh, back in the youth group in Las Vegas. He says, uh, if, if you can't love your parents, you're not truly loving God. That was a a slap in my face because I struggled in those days. But I began to learn that every place you are is a gift from God to sanctify you in the process. So learn to love those in the human realm so that you can truly love in the spiritual realm. If you love those who only love you, what good is that? You need to learn to love your spouse. You need to learn to love your children, which is humbly, sacrificially, even forgiving one another. You've got to get it right at home. If you think I'm just going to run away from my home so I can go be good for God other places, your ministry, your life will collapse in its influence. Just telling you right now. You think, oh, I can live two lives. One of the things that scared me as a as a a young pastor and a new parent was I've seen too many PKs and MKs that their lives are a wreck because what happened in the home wasn't what they saw on the platform. And I know this for a fact, no child in a pastor's home, in a minister's home, could care less about what the last sermon of their dad was, what their mom does on the mission field. They could care less if we've written books or we've gotten degrees. They want to know, does dad love me and does he live out what he says to everybody else? If it doesn't match, it'll fall apart. Love well. Be self-controlled, sober-minded, wise. Be pure, holy, reserved for God's purpose. Make sure you're working in the home in a way that that models for everybody what it is like. You know, one of the things that uh, is the first model and mentor is how, when parents have children, how parents love one another that models for their children. And you notice why he says these things? Why would we love well in our homes? That the word of God may not be reviled. Literally, the word is blaspheme. That people would not look at your home and say the word you teach doesn't match the life and the love you lead. Therefore, we'll never follow it. If you want to destroy your testimony, just continue to live two lives, one in public and one in private that do not match. Your public life will always be impacted by your private and personal love. Which leads me to the last few verses in verse six through eight. If we're going to... to, to To live well and to love well, we need to lead well. He speaks of the younger men here, and I think it's just, younger people listen to me. If you're listening and learning from the older, the wiser, the more mature, you need to step out and be a leader. In verse six, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, that's what he leads out with. A lot of it has to do with how do you conduct your life? How do you love those God's given you in your life? Be self-controlled. Show yourselves to be, in all respects, to be a model of good works. You'll never be a model until you've learned to model your life after people are doing it right. So find people that you can learn from, but grow into the position where you are showing yourself to be a model. That you're teaching, in all you're teaching, you're showing integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned So that, why? So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The goal in all discipling relationships is that the baton would be passed. If you're learning from somebody ahead of you, you take that baton, you run with it, and you take it in such a way that people could follow your model and you could pass it on. Every generation, there is a potential of the church To be extinguished. Now. Jesus promised he would keep the remnant. He would always carry on. But I wonder how many of us. Have been passed a baton. But we're not running. The race set before us. And showing ourselves in all respect. To be a model. Show yourself so that. Nobody could stand against you. Condemn you. An opponent put you to shame. No, they would be put to shame because they have nothing. They may disagree with you. They they might not, you know, be able to say, Well, uh, I, I believe you're right, but there was nothing in your life that would mar the message. That's where all politicians fall, by the way. And by the way, if I thought politics were gonna solve the world, I would go be a politician. I do not believe politics is the answer. I believe the gospel is the answer. I'm gonna give my whole life to the gospel. And I'll preach to politicians and I'll share the gospel with all those involved. But listen to me. Those in the uh, political world oftentimes have a message they say, but their life is corrupt. And so how do they get uh, knocked off course? It's not based on their message. It's always their life. They unveil something that then they're put to shame Make your life in such a way that is pure, that when people look for for holes in who you are, they can find nothing. They may not like your message, but they cannot find your life as a hypocrite that doesn't live what you speak. Let us not be those who profess to know God, but by what we do, we're denying him. As 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example for the believers in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Step up, he said to Timothy. Same thing to Titus, same thing to us. As John Chrysostom, uh, Archbishop of Constantinople in the 300 said, Let the luster of your life be a common school of instruction, a pattern of virtue for all. You were created by God. And you were created for God. And when that is true in your life and you understand that, God will not only work on you, He will work in you and He will work through you. And He does this for you and He does this for other people as well. He's working through you for the blessing of others. Let me conclude. As He talks here about integrity, and dignity, and sound speech, one of the things I know is that integrity always defeats interrogation. Integrity always defeats interrogation. Let them interrogate you backwards and forwards. But before you let them interrogate you, let the Lord interrogate you. Search me. Try me. Search my heart, God. If you find any impurity in me, please help me overcome that and extinguish that from my life. Interrogate me, God, that you would make me cleansed. That you would, you would put me in a position that gives all honor and glory to you. It's not about me on this earth. So purify me so that when people look at me, they don't see anything about me other than what the Lord has done in me. And then they can hear the gospel with clarity and not compromise. Do you have a model and a mentor? Is there anybody who could look to you today as a model and a mentor? If this generation would take these teachings from Titus seriously, we would have a generation rise up that is unmatched in any generation before us. And we'd run in this world where it is so dark and bring a light that we so desperately need. Love those who are older than you. Embrace them, go sit at their feet. And go love some people younger than you. Give them some time, attention, and some encouragement. Every generation that comes needs some mentors and some models. Might might you be one.